Hi, welcome to American Scuttlebutt, the American History Podcast, where we prepare for the EOC, the End of Course Assessment. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, today we take a look at a one Mr. John Brown, a white northerner who may have had some influence on the Civil War and maybe the context after the Civil War in our discussion on Reconstruction. Here with me today is Miss Velasquez, our uh, Civil War uh, expert, if we if we must. Uh, Miss Velasquez, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Mr. Diacunto? I'm doing excellent today. Very excited today about our John Brown uh, discussion. He's a great topic. He is. Uh, what can you tell us that we need to prepare for before we understand the context of John Brown. So the vocabulary we're going to talk about in this podcast is sectionalism, compromise of 1850, fugitive slave laws, bleeding Kansas, the Kansas-Nebraska Act, and secession. So these are all things we've seen in our study guide we've read about. These are things you should already know. We should already know. Maybe we need a refresher, though. Yes. And we're going to go over that all within the context of John Brown's story. So if you need to refresh yourself on those terms, we're going to go over them. Excellent. Yay. What a great opportunity for our students. <gasps> was that your cell phone? That was not my cell phone. That was just a reminder that the next thing we're getting to is the context of the story of John Brown. Okay, let's talk about John Brown. Sure. His early, his earliest days. He was born in 1800, which is good because then we know when everything happened. Right? 1858? Right. 1858. We know he was 58. He's 58 I like years that. Old. I nice. think it's a good number. Easy. Easy stuff to remember. He's born in Connecticut, so he is a northerner. Um, and he grew up in a very religious family. He grew up in a family of abolitionists. Ooh, that's another vocab word we didn't talk about. That's a good about. one, abolitionists. Uh, what is an abolitionist, Mr. DeCunto? Let's see. Uh, abolish. Uh, set free. Uh, not be enslaved. Right. They want to end slavery, period. And you said religion, so that means... Probably a Christian, right? Yes. Some form of Christianity. They were very Christian. If you're familiar with the Second Great Awakening, Charles Finney. Right. His father was a big follower of Charles Finney. That's more for our A-Push kids. It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's fine. Um, But, yeah, they were abolitionists. They wanted to abolish slavery. So he already grew up in a household where that was a discussion, that slavery is bad. And they framed it in religious terms, that everybody should be equal, right? Jesus would have treated everyone equally. So this is a bad thing that's in the country. Uh, he gets married in 1820. So he's 20. Oh, 20. Yeah, he's 20 years old. Uh, one of my sources said that he fathered 20 children. How accurate can that be? 20 uh, kids? I mean, why not? I guess. He was only, let's see, he was 20 when he started? Sure. Why not? So, yeah, by the time he's 40, maybe. I don't think all of them lived. Because you didn't live through childhood. Well, you did, but a lot of people didn't. Yeah, they could have been stillborn birds or... There's no medicine at the time yeah. to save you. But that's okay. Supposedly, he had 20 children Supposedly. Interesting. at some point. Um, he moves around a lot. He's actually in the tannery business. Oh, like leather goods yes. and uh, making uh, leather clothes or saddles or yeah. hats or I don't know. Whatever they used back yeah. then. Um, but that's the business he ends and he moves around a lot. But his life changes when he moves to Springfield. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Lots of Springfields in America. This one's in Massachusetts, the north. Yes. Uh, I guess it was a very liberal area back then. I don't don't know what that means. Sure. They were very 
abolitionisty. Probably a lot of diversity. Yeah. Probably a lot of uh, different races and cultures and religions, and so you had to be tolerant of others. Right, and there was a lot of intellectuals there who gathered there to talk about things like so abolition. Schools, right? Yes. Sure, yeah. This is going to be uh, Harvard is going to be there. Yes. As an example. A good and a lot of a lot of reformers. I guess we can leave it at that. Um, he meets people there. He goes to a lot of abolitionist lectures, which was popular at the time. There's no podcasts. There's no internet. So you just go and sit down and listen to someone talk. And so he meets Frederick Douglass, who is a famous uh, former slave abolitionist. Yeah. And Sojourner Truth. Another African-American former slave. Right. They both escape slavery. So he meets these people, these very influential people who become his friends. So he's actually pretty well known in the community, the abolitionist community. Um, but something happens in 1850 that makes him very, very angry. Life-changing for him, maybe. It is. Do you know what it is? Uh, 1850, well, Compromise of 1850 probably That's exactly would be it. it. Oh, look at that. There's a lot of things that happen in the Compromise of 1850. Um, do you remember what they are? Um, California becomes a free state. Yes, he likes that part. Right, because uh, that would be mean that uh, slavery is not going to expand to California. Mm-hmm. Um, also, doesn't America get Texas? Texas is a slave state at this point. New Mexico New and Mexico. those areas. Yeah. But the big thing that makes him angry... Popular sovereignty? Popular sovereignty. Right. He's, you know, at this point, that's not his big issue. Right. But the big part that upsets him is the fugitive slave laws. Exactly, right. This basically makes it so that slavery is is legal anywhere. You could have a slave anywhere in the United States. What do you mean by that? Well, that, 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 if, a, that if a slave, even if they escaped and went to the north, they would still be considered under law a slave and would have to be brought back from the north to the south. I mean, in most cases, uh, the north is not going to be conducive to slavery because of weather, uh, because of the, the people who move there are not necessarily, um, their, their culture doesn't believe in slavery. So um, they're going to more work on their own. You're going to use immigrant labor in the north. So a slave would be forced to then move back south. Right, because they're seen as fugitive, like a criminal that a criminal. ran away. Yeah. Um, and so this is upsetting to John Brown because now, you know, for a while the North could pretty much ignore this problem in the South. You know, that's slavery, that's a Southern issue. But right. now if you're in the North and you have knowledge of someone who, who was a slave, you have to bring them in. You have to turn them in. Right. And so this is upsetting to John Brown because now the North also has to participate in this institution of slavery. So this is going to be something that he wants to protest. Um, he's going to go to lectures about this. He's going to protest this in his own way. He actually, his home at one point is a stop on the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. So runaway slaves could stay there for a night. He'd hide them. But things escalate once again, when we have another law passed in 1855. 1855? Um, I don't know what that Leading law is. Leading us into Kansas, I mean, Nebraska Kansas, Nebraska. Act. Okay, I was thinking Dred Scott, but that's the next year. Yeah. Kansas, Nebraska Act. Um, Kansas and Nebraska were left up to popular sovereignty. So right, what, which is the idea where uh, the people get to vote, mm-hmm. whether they want to be a slave or not. So we typically think of Stephen Douglas mm-hmm. as someone who was promoting this idea uh, during this time period where... Um, it kind of would get rid of the Missouri Compromise, right? Because now any state could become a slave state. They think it's a great idea, right? Because leave it up to the people. The it's people. not in our hands democracy. anymore. It's yeah, democracy. right. But then 
in this case, now you have people coming into Kansas, the pro-slavery people and the anti-slavery people entering into Kansas, and it's getting violent. They're starting to kill each other. Um, we call that, what is it, Mr. D? We call that what? Bleeding Kansas! Bleeding Kansas, Yay. that's right. Uh, blood and guts and gore. Yes, everybody's killing each other, burning down their houses. Well, John Brown has sons in Kansas, and he finds out, um, or he believes anyway, that two of his sons are going to be targets for these you know, pro-slavery, I don't know, gangs, you can call them, roaming Kansas, because they're very outspoken, just like his, just like their father. So he knows that they're going to be targets. So he goes over to Kansas, um, and he and his sons are now vigilantes, and they go around killing people. Uh, he's responsible for the death of five people in Kansas during this period. Murders, wow, he's, I he's, guess you could he's, say. He's Murders. He's a fugitive on the run. Right, but it's justified, right? They're, they're they're slave. They want to be slave owners. They want to keep slavery. Right. So does he have the right to kill them? Well, uh, I think we are a nation of laws, and under those hey, laws, you know, bleeding Kansas. <laughs> anything could go in Kansas. I do I wonder, like, where were where were the police? Like, well, there were no police. It was nobody mil- stopped military, them. Right? Like, yeah. they just this went on for a while. This is fifty five, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Franklin Pierce as president at the time. There's no real military out there. At least I don't. If there was any, it was it was certainly going to try and quell the fighting so that the, the the vote can at least happen. But there's right. intimidation because you've got Southerners coming up with cannons and mm-hmm. Northerners coming with their weapons. You know, uh, they're outnumbering the military out there. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. Certainly not. Everybody who got caught up in it, you know, it's not fair to them. But anyway, so. Th- that happens, and we're fast-forwarding a little bit. 1859, John Brown has a plan, um, and his plan involves arming freed slaves to free more slaves. So he and his and his dudes, his guys, I don't know, his squad? Sure, sure, squad. His squad. Um, Criminal squad. Yeah, sure. Their uh, plan was to invade the federal arsenal in Virginia, that's where they keep all the guns and right. stuff, right? They're going to steal all the weapons. They're going to steal the guns. They're going to free these slaves in Virginia, and then those slaves, now that they're armed and powerful, are going to continue on to free more slaves. So it's like a domino effect of people freeing people. Right. This is his plan, and he trains. He gets a, a house, like he rents a house in Harper's Ferry. He trains an army of twenty-one men. And he gets ready for his attack. Um, he invites his two friends, Harriet Tubman, Underground oh. Railroad. He invites her. Yeah. Um, she was sick that day. So she, so couldn't, she, she couldn't make it. She, she's like, well, John, I would love to be there, but since there's going to be arsenals and I'm stuff, sick. I might be, <laughs> can't yeah. make it. Right. She was sick. So, the so gun rally. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she wasn't there. Yeah, she probably doesn't trust too many white people with guns at this point. Well... No matter what side they're on. Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't know exactly how close their relationship was. Uh, but Frederick Douglass, who we mentioned before, declined. He just straight up said, no, I'm not joining you. See, I think this is a sign where this guy might be pushing the bounds and going beyond the justification. Right. You know? And Frederick Douglass... Bye. Frederick Douglass... He, he knew that there was no real... He, he understood that this plan wasn't really a plan. Um, if you look at it, John Brown didn't have, like, really an escape plan. It was kind of like, I'm going to get the guns, and we're going to shoot people, and we're going to leave. And that's not realistic. That's not really a plan. 
I don't know. Right. I don't know what. I don't know if he really thought he was going to get out of there. Is there any biography of him where it's where or, or, or testimony uh, once they capture him that he was willing to die for this? Right? He was, and he he wrote a letter in prison as he's awaiting his um, execution. Oh, did I spoiler? Spoiler alert! Oh my god, spoiler! But uh, we'll get to that. Sure. I have a quote that's pretty great from okay. him. Okay. Yeah. Um, Looking forward to it. Anyways, Frederick Douglass declines, so. Uh, he he gets ready for this attack on the arsenal. October 16th, 1859, the raid begins. Technically, it's the 17th because it's at 4 a.m. This whole event takes place. Well, they wake up really early for that. Yeah, I don't know why 4 a.m. That's maybe why Frederick Douglass kind of got out. He's he was like, too. He was like, I'm he's sleeping. Older, he's gotta get he's gotta get his rest. <laughs> so it's 4 a.m. They get into the arsenal. Um, he sends some people out to recruit the nearby slaves who are supposed supposed to rise up and join him. Sure. Uh, that does not happen. The slaves never show up. And well, they're probably afraid because you got sure. this, this this guy that uh, wants to free you, but at the same time, you know that. And they don't know him. This is some random guy. Yeah. So, anyways, that that part of the the plan has already failed. Uh, but he and his gentlemen are in the arsenal. Uh, but. The local, the local militia has come to fight them off. They realize that somebody's in there. Um, the military's not there yet. So the local people are now surrounding them. Sure, because you're going to take away their slaves. They're, right. They're rising up. Um, he and his, his men take 60 hostages, uh, include important people, including some distant relative of George Washington. Hmm. So they take these hostages. Uh, they don't really have a plan to get out, but they're in here with all these guns. Kind of looks really bad for them sure. um, as they're being surrounded. Uh, Robert E. Lee will actually come in with his uh, military men, his army. I don't know exactly how many people were brought in, but they do put down the raid. It only lasts a couple days, 36 hours total. This whole event to goes be, on. That they're kidnapped and, and, and being trapped. Right. 36 hours he's trapped in the arsenal. Right. Um, two of his sons are killed in this because, of course, his sons joined him. Uh, a lot of the men who were down there died. He is injured, but he avoids being captured. Or he, he gets captured, but he avoids being killed, I guess I should say. Um, so he lives, but he's captured. And, of course, he goes to trial pretty quickly. What do you think they find him guilty of? Um, they find him guilty of kidnapping rich white people, but not... Of <laughs> That's actually not that one it? of them. Not one no. of them? <laughs> He's guilty of murder. Sure, okay. He murdered right? people. He, shoot, he shot people when he was in the arsenal to try to get them to back away so right. he could escape. Guilty of murder, inciting a slave insurrection, and treason against the state of Virginia. So he's found guilty of all those counts. He's in jail. And on December 2nd of that year, 1859, they hang him. And that's the end for him. That's the end for him. He has, he does, uh, like you mentioned, he writes something down before he yeah. leaves. I, I have this quote here because I think right, it's very see. telling. He says, I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away but with blood. Uh, he's anticipating the Civil War. He is. You know, where probably many were for years anyway from 1850. Um, and it's going to be a, a fight between the North and the South. I mean, that, that's 59 he's executed still that same right. year? Right, and he's saying, yeah, December. It's December, so it's still the same year, and he's saying there's no way to, to resolve this but with blood. Yeah. Like, he knows there's a there has to be a fight, um, and he was willing to die for it. But there's consequences to that. In 
you know, how everybody views him, going back to this idea of sectionalism, right. a word we should know. Another word. Tension between the North and South, economically, socially, all different reasons, going all the way back to the colonies, really, in the different regions. Um, the North is going to view him as a martyr. Well, you think all the North will view no. him as a martyr? Well, for the, I mean, a lot of people said, you know, he's willing to die for the cause. What a great guy. What a hero. He was willing to die for the freedom of other people. But not everyone thought that. Right. Um, William Lloyd Garrison, a name you might recognize. Yes. He wrote The Liberator. He was um, famous at the time, too, for his abolitionist views. He actually says John Brown is crazy. John Brown does not represent all of us. He's insane. We're not a part of that. Right. The Republican Party. Lincoln, in fact, will argue that John Brown is not a Republican. John Brown does not represent us. You know, we're not all that radical. Yeah, and when Lincoln talks back about the Civil War and the, and the, the need to bring the Union back, I mean, he'll, he'll point towards the book Uncle Tom's Cabin more mm -hmm. than John Brown, uh, you know, saying that um, Harry Beecher Stowe was the little lady who started the Civil War, you know, got in the mind of, of people how, how bad uh, slavery was. Um, you know, even though in the beginning of the war, it's it's going to be argued that you know it's for states' rights, right. federal government over the states, uh, uh, rather than slavery. Slavery will come into it a little bit later on. Um, but it, it, interesting that they both are going to deny him, at least in '59, any any you right. know uh, uh, media attention. But I think he was a trigger. I mean, we're talking about him today. It obviously wasn't just like a little blip in history that everyone sure. forgot. That's a big trigger, right, of yeah. the Civil War that he. You know, he was one guy, but it's going to upset the South so much. A lot of Northerners did think he was a hero. Obviously, not all of them. But the South is going to see him as a traitor. This is going to make them feel like, well, the North really is coming after us. This guy's from the North. He came after us. He tried to steal our guns and free our slaves. This is the mindset of the entire North. They're going to come in and they're going to get us. It's a matter of time. Right. The um, You know, when you look forward, you know, to the Radical Republicans and Reconstruction, I mean, all those things that John Brown stood for come come true. true. They come they come to pass. African Americans get the right to to not have slavery in the Thirteenth Amendment. They mm -hmm. get the right to equal uh, equality under the law in Fourteenth Amendment. The right to vote the Fifteenth Amendment. That's eighteen seventy. The Fifteenth mm -hmm. Amendment. That's only eleven years before John Brown. And we're not that far off. Civil War is eighteen sixty one. We're in 1859, right. so it's very close to secession. One of the words I said we were going to mention, secession, when the South uh, leaves the Union, so to speak. Yeah, it splits off because of the, the presidency of Abraham Lincoln uh, right. uh, in 1860. Fascinating. John it Brown. My, my favorite part, though, there's yeah. one last part, yeah. I promise, okay. is the Civil War song about him. Oh, right, the song. Are you going to sing it for us? I will not. Okay. You can sing it. You, you, have, sing a, it you have a great voice. Thank you. Um, it's to the, the tune of Glory Hallelujah. Oh, like Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Beautiful. Yeah, and that's glory. the chorus. That's the chorus. There you go. Um, but the last line is, his soul's marching on. And it's about John Brown. It, it's long. I just have the first part. But the first lines are, John Brown's body lies moldering in the grave. Wow, moldering in the grave. It's kind of dark. <laughs> it's gruesome. But it's to that song, and maybe we can link it. Um, yeah. To our listeners. Yeah, we'll link there's, it to the show There's notes. people, yeah, who, who sing it on YouTube. It's a little creepy. But yeah, it's about, it's like a, they would sing it as they marched to kind of be like, you know, John Brown died for this and we're just continuing on his, his battle. Yeah. So he's not forgotten. 
No, not forgotten. He's still in our history books. He's important for the EOC, or at least what he represents to the entirety context of the the sexualism in America uh, through the Civil War, through Reconstruction. Absolutely. Thanks again, Ms. Velasquez. Awesome. For giving us our historical context of John Brown, the white northerner who tried to set free many African Americans uh, and give them the responsibility of of becoming free themselves, uh, possibly inspiring the South Uh, into defense and inspiring the North into change. That's going to do it for this part of American Scuttlebutt. Stay tuned for our next part of American Scuttlebutt. Well, Mr. Diacunto, it's time for History Crush. Oh, how exciting. History Crush is a segment um, where one of us chooses a person it should be a person, right, Mister D? Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it could be a place oh, or a, a thing, a historical object. You've already even. broken the rules. You've already broken the rules. Um, there is no rules here in history. It's whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it is um, usually a person, but something um, from the time period that we've been talking about. In this case, Civil War time period ish. Uh, that one of us has to guess. So Mr. Diacunto is going to give me three clues. Uh, the first one's going to be the hardest, and it gets easier as we go on. And if I can guess it before, um, you know, I guess by the last clue, I win. What do I win? Nothing. You win, nothing, you win the satisfaction. Of sure. The, yeah, you we'll keep score. We're able to identify the history crush today. I'm ready for the first clue. All right, here's the first clue. In context, i got to tell you that this is from 1887. Okay. okay. So it's a, well, what? That's a little bit after this period. It's, it's in Reconstruction-ish time period. Uh, you're right? pushing it already. I, I, I know. But let's, let's put it this way. 1860 to 1887. How about that? Reconstruction. All right. Yes. There you go. Okay. They're, they're focused on you. There you go. You got some rules there. This is a... How do I put this? This was a land area that was a ranch slash farm. Okay. That then was sold to former slaves. You have a crush on a farm? I have a crush on a farm, a location, a place. It's a special place. Where is it? Or is that part of your clues? I can't ask. Well, well, you can ask. That could be part of the second. Don't look. That could be part of the second, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, quiz part. The second uh, clue. The second clue, you know. Okay. Well, right off the bat. I have no idea. No idea, huh? Interesting. So the first clue, again, was a white landowner, mm-hmm. ranch slash farm, sold off this land to a black community of former slaves. Okay. Second, uh, this is in Florida, okay? It's a Florida mm. location, so you can go. You can go on a little visit, a little history. If, if you're plotting this out on a map, you know, all your history crushers out there. You can go out maybe over spring break or Christmas or New Year. I don't Whenever know, you're listening you're to, this. to this. And you can go, go to this location. Um, it's six miles north of Orlando. And when it was a black municipality, it was 89% African American. Is this Beesville? It is not. It has a close comparison to our Plant City area. I don't actually know where Beesville is. Beesville Be- is about <laughs> 10 miles east of where you're sitting right now. Okay. All right. This is six miles north of Orlando. Okay. So prime time, like, you know, area right now. You know? Right. This, this would be great. Like, that Disney World kind of kind of location. Um, a little away from the Disney World, actually, but 
six miles north of Orlando. The Disney 89% World. 89% African American. What? What are the statistics today on this place? Or should uh, I wait till after the crush to really ask my questions? Sure, maybe wait till after, okay. after the crush. Okay. okay. All right, so... Uh, we that was right my there. guess, and I, f- I failed, you so... failed again. Well, one more chance. All right. One more chance. Um, let's talk about important people and things associated with Zora Neale Hurston? Zora Eatonville. Neal- yes! Ah! <laughs> good job. It's like I had an epiphany <laughs> suddenly. Yeah, Zora, the home of Zora Neale Hurston. Um, Their eyes were watching God. I was watching God's Eatonville, uh, six miles north of Orlando. Also, I was going to say that um, uh, it was uh, there was a club there known as Club Eaton. Huh. Yeah, like Peggy. I guess like Peggy I was going to ask, like Peggy Eaton. Yeah, Club Eaton, which uh, in the in the nineteen hundreds, you know, last century, um, Duke Ellington uh, uh, frequented. Wow. You know, as a as a black only club. Uh, where, where African Americans could go, and this is like Harlem Renaissance time. Yeah. Zora Neale Hurston, Duke Ellington, yeah. those are all big names in the Harlem yeah. Renaissance. Like this Eatonville would be our version, I guess, of like a like a Harlem Renaissance mm-hmm. in Central Florida. I mean, Orlando wasn't a giant big community back then. Uh, Ray Charles visited and wow. sang there. Um, also, the home of famous football player, Ha Ha Clinton Dix. <laughs> you don't even know who that I is. I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> Those listening will know the football fan. Are you that. sure? That's his name. That's his. That's What's his, his name? Born name. Ha ha. Ha ha. Clinton Dix. H a h a. H a h a. Clinton. Clinton Dix. D i x. That's right. That he's a football player. Well. Yeah. Defense. Okay. Um, so there you go. You got it right. The the history crush. I can't believe it. it. I can't did. believe it. It came to you. See, look at that. You doubted yourself, but you got it. I know. Eatonville, Florida. Go visit it. Would you go? Sure, why not? Sure. It's historical. It is historical. Uh, they've got, you know, it's still a black municipality. And that's what I was going to ask you. Is it still like that today? Yeah, I believe still today it's 89% African American. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. It was a segregated town, segregated city. So they had their own, you know, black fire department and black police force. And it's more integrated now, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, you know, with the sprawl of Orlando, Eatonville has kind of like become part of the big mass transit area of Orlando now anyway. Interesting. So it's just more as, as in the grand scheme of things is just as homogeneous as anything else. But one of the first black only municipalities one of the first all black municipalities in the United States set up as a separate from white society town. It's almost like you combined like Florida Fru-Fru with their history crush. History this crush. is Florida relevant. It's Good Florida job relevant. Mr. Diacuinto. Yay! Yay! Alright. Um, so that's going to do it today for this version of history crush next time Ms. Velasquez will try and stump me mm-hmm. we'll see what she comes up with I bet it's going to follow more of the rules like it's a person hey I'm a rule follower you are a rule not follower. a breaker no that's right that's what we tell her all right thanks again and until next time on history crush scuttlebutt hi and welcome to the next segment here this is called Florida Fru-Fru hey Miss V what is Florida Fru-Fru <laughs> Um, Florida frou-frou, well, what is frou-frou is the real question. That's the real question. What does that word mean, even? Frou-frou means, like, extra. But, on, it, like, a decoration. A decoration. A, a, a decadent uh, textile that sure. one might wear. A frilly, like a la- Like lace. Like a lace. Yeah. So, Added on. An addition. Right. So when we say Florida frou-frou, we're adding something to the podcast because... It's mostly for people who are going to take the EOC, and Florida history is on the EOC, and Florida history is, of course, part of U.S. history. Right. So it's, it's a little frou-frou. 
little extra, a little for side note us. here. Well, for all of us, I think that's great. Today, I'll be bringing the frou-frou. Okay, bring for it. everyone, I'm bringing it. I'm bringing the fruit fruit. Here we go. I got a question for you. Great. All right, here's a question. Florida, 1860. Okay. <clears throat> How many people live in Florida? Um, like two, total population. Two hundred thousand. That's really close. Is that really? It's very close. Yeah, it's 140,000 people. Okay. Lived in Florida. Uh, pop quiz 2018. About how many people live in Florida? Um. A million. Like 2018. Now. <laughs> currently. That was my... <laughs> was a million? That's your real answer? A million, Miss V? Um, 88... Eight, no! Is your mind open? So you say a million people live in Florida currently. I don't know. Uh, wait, what was my first one? 200? 1860, you said 200,000. 200. Okay. The real answer was 140. Okay, so I'm I saying say... In comparison to today. 800,000. Currently, right now, <laughs> yes, in the state. Stop. You know, there's 21 million people that live in this state. I said a million. You made fun of me. Right, because it's 21 million. Like that's 21 times what you just said. <laughs> it's okay. We have a lot of House of Representatives. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm here. That's to why learn. you're here to learn. So 21 million is what they say currently live in wow, our state of Florida. That's a lot of people. That's a, a lot. When Old you were people. when you were born, it was like 12 million. What like do you think happened? They doubled. Why? Because oh well, there's a lot of reasons for that. We're gonna to get to that in in future frou-frous. but currently we're talking about 1860. Okay. And 140,000 people in Florida. Now in 1860, I'm gonna ask you this: How many of those 140,000 are slaves? Um, out of 140,000, I'm gonna say 80,000. Very close. That's excellent. 62,000 are slaves. That's a large population, you know, based on 140,000. Now, of that, there's also a third group living in Florida. Native people. Native peoples, you know, our friends, the, the Seminole Indians. So this fruit is about uh, the third Seminole Indian War. You know, the native populations that were here in Florida before the white man came in during the Civil War, uh, pushing African-Americans to Florida and uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, that Third Seminole Indian War is 1855 to 1858. Three years. That's it. And we had the other Seminole Wars, but they weren't as effective or uh, as important as this one is. What else do you know about the Seminoles, Miss V? I know that they live in the swamp. Nowadays, they do. <laughs> That's where they were pushed into the swamp. In exactly. the Everglades. In the Everglades. Well, originally, the Third Seminole War had the U.S. Army encroaching on the Seminole land. Typically, that was like in Central Florida to North Florida. Uh, and the idea was to remove the Seminoles, get rid of the Native Americans because they're pushing for the whites into Florida. Uh, the Army is going to destroy the Seminole plantations. And they're going to push them into, like you said? The swamp. The swamp of the Everglades. That's exactly right. Now, one of the key members that was being pushed south is a guy by one of the chiefs of the Seminoles. What chiefs do we know in the Seminole Indian uh, um, uh, heritage or history? The one FSU cares about. Yeah. Who's that? I don't know. That's, that's okay. It's all right. It's, it's, we're here to learn. Yeah. It's Chief Osceola. Right. He is not the chief of the Seminole Indians at this time. The chief is Chief Billy Bowlegs. Billy Bowlegs. Billy Bowlegs. I have no idea why they call him that. Was um, he bowlegged? I think he might have been bowlegged, but his name was Billy. So Chief Billy is going to lead a raid of Seminole Indians. Now, we're not talking a lot of Seminole Indians. We're talking maybe 100 to 200 Indians, Native Americans. That's it. 
is going to go to Fort Myers, Florida, south of us, about two hours south of us on the coast, uh, the west coast, if you will. Have you been to Fort Myers? No. No? And near it, like Naples or anything like that? No. Like I hear it's full of uh, old, retired people. Old, retired, a lot of old, retired people. Yeah. But there is a college there, though. A state college. I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. Florida Gulf Coast. Gulf Coast. FGCU. FGCU. That's it. That's in Fort Myers now. Right near the area where the fort was. They do the raid, but the Indy, the natives are, are surrounded by the army. The army's going to starve out the Seminoles, forcing uh, uh, no supplies to come to them. The Seminoles are going to face starvation, and they finally agree to move where? Where was our trail of tears? Oklahoma. Oklahoma, leading them there. Uh, only 163 decided to go to get food to go all the way to Oklahoma. That's it. Wow. The rest, where did they go? 400 decided to go where? That's right. <laughs> I can see you saying it. The swamp. Going back to the Everglades, right? Coming back to the Everglades. 400. They retreat back into the deep dark of the Everglades. And to this day, they have never signed a peace treaty and remain at open war with the state of Florida. Wow, I didn't know that. So what things would you say that students would have to know for uh, the Third Seminole War, for their EOC? They would need to know the ongoing trend of conflict between white people and Native Americans, especially in Florida. Um, they will need to know about how the Indians are further going to be pressed on because of industrialization that will sure. take place during the Civil War and after the Civil War. So contextualizing yeah. what's coming. Yeah, I think that's I think that's excellent. Uh, that, that's going to do it for this first edition. That was our first Florida frou-frou. First Florida frou-frou. I just like saying it. Florida frou-frou. Uh, until then, I'm Mr. D. This is Miss V. And... This is American Scuttlebutt! Whoa! <laughs>